Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the Bread of Life. We are convinced that the Bible is God's holy word, perfect and without error. Its perfection delivers what is good and beneficial for those who hear it and heed it. It is perfect, for it leads us to the perfect one, the Lord Jesus. He is the Bread of Life. Let us seek Him together through God's word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. Our sermon title for this broadcast was Holiness and Fear. If you'll wait through to the very end of this radio message, I think you will hear a definition of holy fear that is almost exactly what it is in reality. And then you'll have to ask yourself if you know by experience that right kind of fear before a holy God. This is the irony of it all, yet here we see that this holiness that separates us from God and keeps man at a distance from God is also the very thing that God uses to bring us near to Him and to make it so that we can be with Him. He puts His holiness in us and upon us through faith in Jesus Christ so that we may be in the fire with Him and not only live, but thrive in the infinite glory of His presence. This is impossible! But God has done it. Isaiah in Isaiah 33, 14 calls this Dwelling with the consuming fire. He calls this dwelling in the place of everlasting burnings. In heaven, God will one day bring us. We're told in Revelation 21, verse 23, that at the time that we come to heaven and God brings us a place, that there will be no sun in that place. It tells us the reason is that the glory of God will give it light and the lamp of heaven will be the Lamb, Jesus Christ. But... This light is not the light that where the sun is no longer necessary is the light of God or the light of God's blazing, fiery holiness. And yet this light does not repel us from Him, but it invites us to the place of peace and rest in heaven. These holy flames are ones that we live within for all eternity. So Revelation 22 verse 4 puts it this way. It says, We will see His face, and His name will be on our foreheads. And night will be no more, and we will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be our light, and we'll reign with Him forever and ever. We'll live with Him forever and ever in that place of the blazing fire of His holy life. Believer, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you have been made a holy flame by God, conferring of His own holiness upon you, so that you may forever be in the light of the holy blaze. With God. Now, I think that's marvelous. I think it's mysterious and awesome and wonderful and beyond our capacity to begin to appreciate it. God's otherness that drives us away at His presence is the very otherness that He closes us in when He comes and fills us and covers us with Himself so that we forever can be with Him. I've written it down this way. God's holiness that makes him distinct and separate becomes the holiness that fills and clothes me so that I can live with him forever. God's holiness that makes him distinct and separate becomes the holiness that fills and clothes me so that I can live with him forever. How about that? That's awesome. That's incomprehensible. 
That's wonderful. Clothed with the fire that I can't even begin to grasp or understand. So I might be forever in his presence. Now that being the case, what God now calls and commands of me is to cultivate my life in the presence of his holiness. To cultivate my life as his holiness rests upon me and as his holy presence fires within me. And that's why God says, be holy for I am holy. I mentioned to you last week that God gives moral commands to those who don't believe in him. To anyone that he's made, any man that he's made, because he's made that man in his image and he's placed within that man the instinct of morality. So God commands him to a moral life because he has something ingrained in him that can respond to that and can act out a moral life. God says don't lie because there's something within you that can speak truth. God says that you're to be faithful because there's something in you that can be faithful. God has put commands upon you that are responsive to not only who he is, but reactive to what God has made you to be just as a human being. And those moral laws apply to individuals, whether they live in any continent, in any place, whatever the darkness of their culture is or the light of their culture, those moral laws apply to men. And God's Spirit presses in the conscience of men that moral law. So you'll see that if you go to any place, you'll see there is somewhat of a consistency in an understanding of these laws. So God will not ask of a man something that he has not already placed within that man, but he only asks of the believer who has come to faith in Jesus Christ. He only asks of the person who he has worked the miracle, redemptive grace. He only asks of that individual that they be holy. He asks of us that we be holy. Why? Because God has made us holy in himself. God has conferred upon us the blaze, the fire of his own holiness, the otherness of his own, this great supra attribute that causes all of his moral attributes now to blaze and burn and fire, not just with an ethical standard, but with the expression of his own instinct and power behind it. He calls to us and says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. The question then is, how do I cultivate that holiness in my life? How do I come to God for that? Actually, here's a question we should go back and ask first. How is it possible for me to even approach this holy God? Let me speak of the person who's never given their life to Jesus Christ, that person who's never believed in God for salvation, how does that person even begin to approach? In what manner does that person begin to approach a holy God? And then let me speak to the Christian, the one who's received Christ as a Savior and believed upon Him. How do we cultivate our lives? How do we cultivate in our lives this holiness? If you've not come to saving faith, you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, it's only a possibility for you. It's not a reality. But you have felt yourself. That individual has felt themselves repelled by the holy flame and the hot demands of God's pure holy presence. It pushes them away. They even suppress it because it's too terrible for them to deal with. And so they put it aside from themselves. But at the same time, that light of God's holiness continues to draw you. It continues to draw that individual. God sets before them this beckoning call, and they have, as the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 3.11, they have eternity in their hearts, and their hearts, although they're drawn away from this holiness, they're drawn to it as well, because their hearts were made to cradle this flame. And How do you come then to that God? How do you respond to this consuming fire? That's the question we ask. Or, or you're a Christian now. 
and you've given your life to Christ, and you believe in Him, and you've been made holy through Jesus Christ, and you are now a temple of God's presence, God's holy presence, but how do you come now in heart and mind before this holy God to worship and serve and live before Him? What's the attitude for these two different individuals? What's the attitude for each of these persons? The Bible actually gives us the answer over and over again. I want to share some verses for you. That initiating response, that initiating attitude that we should have when we come into the presence of God. Let me read to you a number of verses and see if you can't identify it. It will be easy for you, I'm sure. We started with Isaiah 8, verse 13. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Revelation 15, 4, which we mentioned. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. Psalm 5, 7. The psalmist writes, But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear I will worship towards your holy temple. Psalms 96, verse 9. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. Proverbs 9.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Those verses, in a sense, apply to believer and unbeliever alike. Approach this holy God in this way. Here are a couple of verses that apply to the believer who is come to God and had a relationship with Him and how they're to continue to live out and approach God throughout their lives. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 1 Peter 1, verses 15 through 17. We referred to the first verse, verse 15, a while ago. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Now listen, that is for the believer. As he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. I hope you see in these passages the interesting juxtaposition between the word holy and holiness and the word fear. That's the right attitude. That's the attitude we're to have in approaching God and living before God. Nothing trite here, is it? If you've never given your life to Christ, I want to say that's the attitude you have in coming and giving your life to Christ. When you come to Him, you come to Him. Yes, you come in a moment of faith. You come in a moment of believing the message of the good news that Jesus Christ has come and He's died for your sins in your place. Jesus would come and transform you and make your life complete and whole as God intends it. And by faith you believe that. You come ready to receive, but you come to that faith through some moment or moments of fear. And that's proper. What happens is this. You learn that there's a God who made you, whom you have largely ignored, but that He is the purpose of your life and that He will not let you go as lightly as you have been willing to let Him go. 
You learn that this God is a spirit too great for you to even comprehend and that he's personal and that he breathes out love for you and that he also breathes out hatred for your sin because he's just and he's sinless and something, something of the complete otherness of God begins to overshadow you and come upon you and you don't know it all. But what you know is inviting to you and enticing to you, but it's also frightening to you. And a sense of fear comes over you. What kind of fear am I talking about here? I'm not talking about the fear of little children who are afraid of clowns. I'm not talking about waking up from a scary dream. When I was a young boy, my sister actually loves to tell her children these stories. I like to strategically position myself in dark and scary places in order that I might jump up from the leaves or from behind the tree or out of the barn and scare the wits out of her. There was a delight at the time. You know, you continue doing that for a while until you realize if your children do it in return, they might give you a heart attack and you might die. <laughs> so you start thinking, okay, let's stop doing this. I've got to start kind of planning. I don't want this to be a favor to be returned, but that's frightening people. We're not talking about frightening people or startling people. We're talking about something something much greater and deeper than that. We're not talking about a momentary shock. We're talking about an awesome, creeping dread that comes over you. A sense of fear like standing at the edge of the universe and being invited to fall into it so that you might find your life. Thank you very much for joining us today at the Bread of Life. We are a listener-supported ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism, and you can show your support for this ministry by going to breadoflifeboise.org. We do appreciate you. Until next time, may God bless you.